As far back as educated men have recorded their history, veils have been lowered to disclose a vast new reality, rents in the fabric of man's awareness. And somewhere in the endless search of the curious mind lies the next vision, the next key to his infinite capacity. So we're we're doing the entry to the show different this week. Is that what you're you saying? just did? Okay. Well, no, I thought you were going to start the show <laughs> you, off. You just did by not saying the normal thing. <laughs> they all know who we are. It totally messes up my rhythm, though, by by Good. doing that. So knock you off the peg. Takes me out of my comfort zone. Good. Uh, this week, folks, we have an interview that we've been trying to get together. Actually, I got to thank. Oh my god! I, and I've already forgotten the person. This this was uh, enabled by a person on Twitter who uh, I was like, I've got the night off. I don't know what I'm going to do. And somebody said, Hey, why don't you go watch Halir? And I said, I think I already watched that. And then they they actually tagged Greg New uh, Newkirk uh, in the post and said, You know, I said, Well, I've asked him to come on the show before, but I've never heard anything back from him. So I, we just gave up. Greg saw it and was like, Oh, wait a minute! I didn't see this. Yeah, I would love to come on your show. Blah blah blah. And then we got in touch. So. If you're out there listening, I, I apologize, but I can't remember who it was that put us in touch with Greg through Twitter. So thank you it's for doing email. that. <laughs> yeah, send us an email because we do what we would. I would like to properly thank you for facilitating us getting together. Having said that, this week we have <laughs> Greg Newkirk on, and Greg Newkirk, um, him and his wife are curators of the Traveling Museum of Paranormal and Occult. Mm. Um, they also run the. Um, the the blog Planet Weird I got to pull it up in front of me they they run the Planet Weird blog which if you hang out on the Project Archivist page many 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 things from Planet Weird we have posted up on the Project Archivist page uh, you've probably read many of their articles um, and they also just put together this kind of documentary called Halir which is the story for lack of a better term he explains it but uh, it's worth going out and finding it's free that's one of the reasons to go check it out it's up on YouTube uh, they said it's dropping on Amazon yeah Amazon Prime um, it's a documentary about this short story. Somebody contacted them a few years ago and said, hey, my property is being besieged by goblins coming out of a cave. I want to blow the cave up. And from what I understand, you are just the people to call to take care of this job. And the story ensues from there. So we have Greg on here. We had never talked to him before. Very briefly spoke back and forth on Twitter. And as with many guests that come on this show, we strive very hard to try to give people a different interview than they've given over and over again on other podcasts. And I said, is there anything that you want to talk about that you haven't talked about on other shows that you want to talk about? And uh, as usual, most people are not used to getting that question. And they go, well, um, let me think about that. So Greg got back and said, I want to talk about this, this, and this. And I said, wow, that's exactly the stuff that I was going to ask you about anyways. So it all went down. Yeah, it's... It got him on. You read off the questions that you were going to ask. Yeah. And when he got on, he said the questions that you were going to ask. Exactly. The only thing that I didn't get to talk about with him, and I'm kind of glad we didn't, was some specifics about some of the haunted artifacts Mm -hmm. that he has that may have given him trouble. But he's talked about those on other shows that you can go out and find and listen to. So it all worked out exactly the way it was going to go. And this interview, thank God, is going to be one of the few that I have to do very minimal amounts of editing because everything went... It's a great conversation, and I'm really glad that we've made this guy for a friend because 
afterwards we were talking and it was like, wow, we could talk to you about this, 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 and this. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So real solid dude, real solid. dude. Very, very. But we'll talk about all that at the other side of this interview. So uh, we'll just jump right into it because it's a great show. It's, it's one of my favorites that I think we've done in a long time. Yeah. So uh, let's roll it. And as always, we will talk to you guys at the other side. Yay. With us tonight, we have Greg Newkirk. Um, you have created the, the, I guess you would call it a documentary, which is called Halir. You've done many other video projects, and you're also the curator and owner, you and your wife, of the, am I, am I saying it right, the Paranormal and Haunted Museum of Artifacts, or I'm probably butchering the living hell out of that. <laughs> <laughs> you have that, the weird that museum. Like the, that could be the off-brand version. Yeah. Uh, it's the, the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. So you've been into this for quite some time. Um, I was talking with Lobo before the show started, way, way back when we first started our show, like seven years ago, we had talked off the air about your original ghost hunting blog, which was called Ghost Hunters Inc., I believe it was. <laughs> yeah, Ghost Hunters Incorporated. Yes, yep. and uh, we we didn't know who you were back then, and I didn't connect the dots until I saw Hillier, and I was like, oh my God, that's that guy. That's the guy that we were talking about that had <laughs> the, like the snarky ghost ghost hunting thing you know Uh that's me yeah so um you've been doing this for a long time now um you're kind of one of the people in the industry that you're 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 out there you're a thing people know about you guys they know what you do uh you've kind of become looked at as uh i i guess would i I don't like to use the word experts in the field some people shy away from that but um that's kind of what you guys are looked at as now because of what you do so (laughs) <laughs> um, I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> and that is the proper way to be. Be humble about it. What was John Keel used to say? He wasn't an expert on anything or what would it Yeah, he, not, not an expert on anything. Yeah, he had some kind of a business card like that. So oh, yeah. um, I guess where do we start at? Because we have a lot of ground to cover here. So um, where do you want to start at? Let's put it that way. Goodness gracious. Uh Lord, uh, I guess here we should start there because that seems to be the current big thing right now that uh, that's got you guys probably, out there. Probably talk about that. I'm supposed to be promoting that, so um, that's uh, <laughs> probably it's a on, good thing. Then it's on YouTube and it's getting ready to drop on. Uh, is it Amazon Prime? It it just went live on Prime a few days ago. Yeah, so it's uh, it's up right now on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and Vimeo and Hellier TV. So how would you describe it? So I don't butcher it. Uh, I, I would describe Hellier as a look at uh, high strangeness, uh, unsolved mysteries, and potentially sightings of goblins in uh, the Appalachians. Kentucky has a rich history of goblin sightings, as has been yeah, brought up does. to you about a million times by now. Um, so you received an email from somebody long time ago about yep. them being terrorized by goblins in their house. And mm-hmm. before we even brought, I'm like, oh, this is going to be about the Hopkinsville Goblin thing. That's what this is. This is probably a fallout from that. And it turned out it wasn't. Uh, it was a story of 
I'm not going to go a whole lot into it because I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but I do want to talk about the ramifications and stuff from it and things around it so people can go check this out. But it was a story of a guy who said that him and his family were being terrorized by goblins that were coming out of a local uh, mining cave on his property. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he said uh, there were these little creatures that his children described as little kids who were naked and bald like grandpa. And they were coming out of a mine shaft on the edge of his property. They were tapping on his children's windows at night. Uh, they were rummaging through his his shed. Uh, they were taking stuff and stuffing it in his mailbox and, uh, just, just freaking out his whole family and eventually got to the point where they were too scared to stay in the house and they were looking for help. And he said that he had a mutual friend who recommended me and said, I was well equipped to deal with these types of problems. I have no idea why anyone would have thought that. I was going to say, were uh, you though? <laughs> no, God, no. And, and the weird part, this is the extremely strange part is, uh, you know, you were talking about Ghost Hunters Incorporated earlier. Uh, at the point that I got this email, this email came into the old Ghost Hunters Incorporated email address, which the web, I mean, if you go to the website, the website doesn't even exist anymore now, but it was up then, but you could tell like it hadn't been updated in years. And it was just teenage kids on the front on the front page. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make any sense that this person would have emailed me. I, I, apparently, apparently he was told to. Uh, and so we started this dialogue back and forth where I thought at first, because of the email address that it came to and because it seemed so outlandish, uh, one of my friends was playing a prank on me. And so I said, well, uh, I would love to help, uh, but you're going to have to give me a little more uh, more information. Tell me more about these things. Tell me, uh, you know, whatever information you can gather. Can you get photographs of these things? And uh, sure enough, uh, not too long later, a big, long email and a bunch of photographs came in that showed three-toed footprints and uh, allegedly the creatures themselves. And that's when I started to take it a little more, little bit more seriously. Now, the... Pictures of the footprints, I could see that and go, okay, there, there might be something to this. But the sure. pictures of the creature were the stereotypical um, blurry thing yeah, in the middle of sure. darkness that it's for like, sure. is, what is that? Is that a pie? Is that, is that a smudge? <laughs> you know, I, well, there, there, were, there was a weird thing about the, the photographs. Uh, you know, one of the first things that we try to do is we ran the exit data. Because if it was taken on a phone, it would have GPS coordinates on it. And we don't really cover this much in Hellier, in the documentary. But uh, Carl, the director of the, of the documentary, he actually found a model, the same model camera. And it's a uh, like a Canon power shot. I can't remember the exact model, but a Canon power shot. And it's an older camera that doesn't have GPS capabilities enabled. So we couldn't see the actual GPS coordinates. But... We were able to match all of the focal lengths, the distance, the flash, the time lined up with the time David said he took the photographs. Uh, And Carl actually even made a cardboard cutout and recreated the photos. And the descriptions are exactly the same. He zoomed in exactly the same amount. Uh, So regardless of what's in the photos, they are stereotypically paranormal blurry, but Everything that David described as far as how far he was standing away from them, what time it was, how tall they were supposed to be, all of that stuff lines up. Did you run them through any kind of Hmm. photo processing to see if there was any 
Um, like if, if anything had been done to them Photoshop wise, if they'd been touched up or altered or changed in any way? Nope. No, we, there's nothing in the exif data that shows that they had been touched up with Photoshop. Um, some of the, like the, the photograph that was sent to us from, from Terry, Terry wrist, who was another person in the story. Uh, that one was run through Photoshop for sure. The other ones weren't run through any photo processing. Uh, they were just attached to the email and sent. Now, when you got these emails, well, first first off, how long did this story go on before you guys finally decided to jump into this? This wasn't like something that took place and like uh, like a month later you guys were out looking at it. This, oh, God, no. This took a long time for you guys to actually get out there and check it out. Uh, so at the time that I received the emails, I was going through Canadian immigration. Um, Dana, my wife, is Canadian, and we had moved to Canada together. Uh, and I was going through immigration. We just gotten married and I couldn't leave the country. So, uh, when this guy emailed, he emailed in 2012. And so during that time period, 2012, uh, he was saying he needed help. He needed us to, to come down, yada, yada, but he wouldn't give us an address. He wouldn't give us, he, he gave us the name of the town, which is Hellier. And, uh, he said he wanted us to come down and blow up the mine Yaddy, yaddy. Wait, and then he, Whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He literally said, I, I want you guys to come down. I will give you uh, unfettered access to anything you want. You can videotape everything as long as you leave me anonymous, collect whatever evidence or anything that you want. Um, but I want to blow the mine entrance and get rid of this problem. And wow. no one take me seriously. So of course, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who in the world would uh, invite a bunch of teenagers, at least what look like teenagers, on this website to come down and play with. Well, dynamite. you are well equipped, so <laughs> I, I suppose. <laughs> so this guy, yeah. uh, the last email that he sent uh, was about how his family had fled the house. Uh, they were. He was. He was absolutely done in the area. He went back with, I think, his brother-in-law to get the rest of their stuff. That's when he took the photographs of the creatures because there were a couple different exchanges with photographs. That's when he took the photographs of the creatures and then I never heard from him again. And I just at that point, you know, there wasn't really much we could do. I'd never been to Kentucky before. I knew nothing about Kentucky. I I was living in Canada, couldn't leave. And so I didn't really give it a second thought. I just kind of thought, well, someone's pulling our leg. I didn't give it a second thought until we were shooting a web series, which never materialized in uh, 2013 when we were in North Carolina and our friend Micah Hanks decided he wanted to take us uh, to this, this, uh, to the, we were brown, going to, to look for the Brown Mountain Lights. And then while we were there, he's like, you know, I heard this story about a, an, an underground cave base. I don't really buy it, but if you guys want to go see where the entrance is supposed to be, I'll take you. And that's when I started to think, oh, wow, okay, so this stuff all starts to line up because there was a whole line of questioning with uh, this Terry Wrist character, and the only reference to him on the internet was in a weird old book by Alan Greenfield, Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. And in that book, he interviews this guy named Terry Wrist, fake name, because he worked for some government agency that went into underground cave bases like one in Brown Mountain and cleared them out. so I thought, cleared well, them out. What do you mean? Like this wasn't I mean, pest extermination. What are you saying when you say? What do you mean when you say that? 
Well, when you read the when you read, I realize how insane this all sounds. And trust me, I, I don't I don't believe all. That's of why this. you're here. <laughs> I don't know how insane it sounds. We've heard some pretty off the wall things. Yeah. So well, this guy, whoever he is, uh, going by Terry Wrist, claims that he and a group of Vietnam veterans worked for some shadowy government agency and they would go into these alien cave bases um like one in brown mountain and they would find where these creatures were living and they would kill them they would they would shoot them and he talked about watching his friends get vaporized like all this stuff super over the top very reminiscent of the old uh richard shaver mystery stories uh with the darrow and it, that's kind of what his gig was for a while. So the dude who killed him with like swords. No, he, he talked about Lugers. Okay. Cause <laughs> so one of those he, cats was talking about killing with swords. That might've been like at like star ranch or one of those places. Yeah. There, well, there's all these, and that's one of the really interesting things about this whole case is, is, is over the top as it sounds, there are so many similar stories uh from people who really don't know each other or know anything about each other and they're all telling these stories that are very similar like you know you look at some of the old commander x books where they're super over the top but it's all underground alien caves and these little groups of people who would go in to clear them out and some of them would be vaporized um you know who was the who was the guy from uh uh, uh dulce new mexico oh um, um phil schneider yeah yeah. yeah, so they've got that story. There, mm-hmm. there are all these stories that are, are similar to this. Um, mm-hmm. But the only reference we could ever find to, to Terry Wrist uh, was at Brown Mountain. And so that's when we started to think more about that case and go, man, I wonder what ever happened to that. I wonder if that guy's still around. And then about a month, two months after we were back from doing that, it was when the emails from supposedly Terry Rist himself came in and included GPS coordinates to Brown Mountain, where we just were, that said, why did you stop when you were so close? And that's when we, I mean, that was a little frightening um, because we didn't know, I mean, whoever sent that knew where we were and knew what we had been doing. And uh, it was that year that we actually got jobs in Cincinnati. So we were only four hours away from Hellier. And it was only a few months later when we we're like, well, you know what? We live here now. Let's, let's jump in the car and let's go check this place out. Mm-hmm. So it took it took a while. It took from 2012 to 2015 before we even stepped foot in Hellier. So this guy wants you to come mm. down and help him out, but he's not giving you an address or any way of really contacting him, um, no. which is pretty vague booking in my opinion. It's like, right. hi, how are you? My family is being terrorized by goblins that are coming out of this cave Come here and blow this place up. I'm not going to tell you where I am, but I really need to have this problem taken care of. It's right. kind of mixed signals here, dude. I mean, yeah, for I, sure. I, I, don't, I don't call up the roach exterminator and say, I've got roaches <laughs> crawling around my kitchen and I need you to come take care of these roaches, but I'm not going to tell you where my house is. Hopefully you can figure it out. <laughs> right. right. And that was one of the biggest issues with, you know, we, we went back and forth on this thing forever because you know, one of our, one of our biggest fears was, uh, is somebody, if somebody is pulling our leg, what's going to happen if we do go out there? You know, are we, are we in danger? Is, is somebody trying to, you know, lure us out into the middle of nowhere? Because Hellier really is in the middle of nowhere. 
and even when we first went, we we had no idea. Hellier is a very small place. It's a holler. Um, there's the city of Pikeville not too far, maybe 45 minutes away, and that's huge. But Hellier itself is a small little coal mining town. And so when we got to the town for the first time in, in 2015, we I just took the photographs, all the photographs, and I went to the local uh, – it really was the hub. It's a little gas station, pizza shop, uh, post office. Everything is right there. It's where everybody goes. And so we just thought, let's go to the, the town hub and just start asking, does anybody know this guy, David Christie? No one had any idea who he was. All these people were like, I've lived here my entire life. I never heard of anything, anyone by that name. Um, no one had seen things exactly like the footprints. Some of them had stories of three-toed footprints and they promised photographs and uh, but really what we were getting was stories of like UFO sightings and, uh, yeah, you know, that kind that story sounds kind of similar. I could have sworn I heard it somewhere. Don't know who David Christie is, but all these people, I mean, within 25 minutes of being in the hub, all of these people came out of the woodwork to tell us all of these strange stories. And we thought, okay, well, this is, if this is the place, this is the place. And we drove around uh, there weren't, there weren't too many roads, but we started to drive around some of the, some of the streets and the, in the old gravel roads, just kind of looking to get a look and be like, you know, does any of this stuff match what this guy was telling us in these emails? And eventually we found this place that looked like it had been abandoned for about three years. It had the same kind of setup with the, the shed and the porch light, uh, the locals were telling us there's mines basically in everybody's backyard. There was a creek right there that would have been the same type of creek that he would have taken those photographs of the footprints in. And it seemed like that would have been the best case scenario for that being David's house. And we just left it there. And we said, we'll come back. We'll bring more people. We'll actually go to the courthouse and we'll we'll look up records. We'll find this guy one way or another. If this happened here, we'll find it. And then life just got crazy until Carl said, I feel like this phenomena is telling us to go there. I need to go and document this. And that took a couple of years. So 2017 was when we went back to shoot Hellier. There's so much about hmm. this that reminds me of John Keel and the Mothman prophecies in so many ways. And after, because at the time, Point Pleasant wasn't really a known town. It was kind of an out of the way place. It still kind of is for the most part. If it wasn't, sure. If it wasn't for the Mothman prophecies and the Mothman said, probably nobody would know about that town. Oh, and, but, and it's uh, not an easy town to get to. There's not like an airport nearby or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. Like you have to make a special trip. And there were so many people that years later claimed that they were like, yeah, we were responsible for, I, you know, I can't remember who said it, who it was now, but it was like, yeah, I, I called, I called, uh, you know, him in the hotel and told him what was going on. It was all, we played a lot of pranks on him while he was down there mm-hmm. investigating the Mothman prophecies thing. Um, right. And not, 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 well, not even, that it was, even today, like we, we go to Point Pleasant once or twice a year and we'll talk to locals there and there's still locals that hate the story. And they're yeah. like, now, you know, we'll go out to the TNT domes. And we'll see like a local hunter and he'll be like, ah, oh, no, it's just kids on acid back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people who still don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I was there three years ago, maybe for the uh, three. 
was it three years ago? Uh-huh. Yeah, that was right, because that was when we recorded our episode of me sitting in the parking lot, and the guy thought I was looking for Pokemon on my phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we recorded an episode from there. They had, like, it, well, you've been to Point Pleasant, and the town was just yeah. mobbed because it was the 50th oh, anniversary. Yeah. So none oh, yeah. of the internet would work. The, the system was completely overloaded. So I'm oh, like, well, let's oh. record an episode. I'll just sit outside the hotel here. You know, and and at the, we were all staying at the same hotel that Nick Redfern and and uh, Lyle Blackburn and all these people were staying at. So I'm sitting outside talking to him on my phone, recording a Patreon episode, and like Nick Redford's walking by and stuff. So I'm walking around the parking lot because the signal was bad, and there was a gas station right there. And this guy's like, "Are you looking for Pokemon?" And I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Are you looking for Pokemon?" <laughs> he thought I was playing Pokemon Go. And I'm like, "No, I'm just on the phone talking to my buddy." Well, there's water Pokemon down by the water down there. If you go on, I'm like, "I'm just, I'm, I'm on a conversation." So yeah, sidetrack story. But anyways, it's hilarious. Um, so all these people that you know that what what makes me curious about this is there's similarities where here you go on this legend quest, you go to this really obscure unknown town. Um, the people there are kind of apprehensive about talking about it, but people come out of the woodwork and talk to you. And at the same time, you know, how much of this is possibly a hoax? How, how, if it is a hoax, how far into the hoax did it go? Um, For sure. another thing I want to ask you is, um, in Halir, you, you've got the footage of you guys outside of the gas station with people coming up and talking to you. And there was the one mm-hmm. guy that was kind of shady with you, like, be careful. You know, you might get drugged yeah. into a field and kill, which is very odd. But at the same <laughs> it time, it's very appropriate for the area. How much yeah. of that footage of you guys filming at the gas station didn't make it into the video? Oh, my God. I mean, it, it, in general, there's a lot of footage that didn't make it in. Um, one of the weirdest and, and, and toughest things about making a documentary series, because this is the first big series that we've made together. Uh, Carl has done a lot of work previously, but this is the first one where it was really like a, I mean, it it took a lot of time and effort. And one of the things that we started to realize as we did this is there's a lot of stuff that we even legally can't show people because a lot of these people, they didn't want to be on camera. Um, You know, we can, we can have what they said. um, But there's a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff where we didn't, we, we didn't want to show a lot of the crazier stories that people were telling us. You see some of that. Like there was a guy who, uh, you know, said he doesn't believe man ever went to the moon. We included that. Yeah. But there's, there's other stories about like, you know, six foot tall owls and, uh, all kinds of UFO sightings and things like that. And there's just only so much we could include, uh, without it just being five hours of people standing outside telling us stories. Wow. See, that's the kind of stuff I enjoy. Yeah. I <laughs> well, we did talk about <laughs> we we thought how much fun it would be at some point because now, now that Hellier's out and there's all of these different stories coming in, you know, post release, how fun it would be to do even like a, a Hellier stories miniseries where it's just that would be awesome. talking that would be about awesome. the stuff that's happened. Yeah. That was my follow up is now that this is um because I don't want to give away the end of Hellier. I'm, I don't want to go much further with it because I don't want to ruin it, but how much how much fallout have you gotten from this? Now it's been out for a little while now. I know that people have to be contacting you and saying, "Hey, I saw that you guys did this documentary. I live in this area. Mm-hmm. This is what happened to me." How much of that are you getting now? Oh, tons. Uh, you know, we even set up a special email because one of the things that we all talked about before Hellier went out, and and one of the things that made us decide to put it out the way that we did is. Hellier really is, and this isn't much of a spoiler, but Hellier really is a prologue to a much bigger story, a much bigger case that we've continuously worked on since since 2017 when we went to Hellier. We realized that putting this out 
was going to be part of the investigation because now people see what we were doing there. They know where it was. Uh, and we're just waiting for them to share more of their, their stories with us. So they know that one of the things we were worried about, and I know that once the trailer dropped that a lot of the locals were worried about is people in these areas are quite often exploited. They have people come in. Um, I know that, you know, the, the show mountain monsters in particular was one that a lot of people referenced and they say, well, they come in, they use us, they show us as dumb hillbillies and they make money and then they screw off. And I think people were really afraid that that's what we were going to do. But now that it's been out, the locals look at it and go, oh, wow, these guys were actually really respectful of, of us. They actually took us seriously. All right. I do want to share my story with you. So we're getting a lot of that, uh, just tons and tons of emails, even from people who are in different parts of the country and have similar stories and said, like, I got one the other day where a guy said, the midnight children are real. I know they're real because I've seen them. Uh, I'm, I'm, here's my story. You can share it. So it really is part of the investigation. And all of the stuff that we're getting back from the first season now is stuff that will eventually show up in the second season. Oh, so you are making a second season then. This is not Woo-hoo. something that just ended. No, I no. I mean, there's there's it, there's a pretty big cliffhanger in the last like 20 seconds of, of Hellier. And that's not there to be cute. Like it, it really happens. So we actually started shooting the second season in December. Uh, and the amount of stuff that we've uncovered in just that last year and a half is insane. Absolutely insane. And I know that there's a lot of people who wanted more out of the ending of Hellier. Uh, and they're going to get that. They just have to realize that Hellier is a prologue. So when you finished the first season up, what, were you expecting what you're going into now? What were you, ex- what were your expectations for, from going on from here? I, I think we didn't know if we were going to, to go any further with it. We, we didn't really know, uh, we went into Hellier expecting to basically play catfish and find this guy and see what actually went on. Did anything really happen? Uh, that's what we, ex- we expect to be hanging out in some guy's backyard looking for goblins. That is not what happened when we went to Hellier. Much stranger, weirder things with bigger implications happened when we were there. Um, so when we wrapped, we thought... You know, we had just gotten the first cut of it back from Carl in uh, January. And I thought, well, all right. You know, we we had a really self-contained cap on the end of it. It had a much different end scene. And then almost like clockwork, the phenomena started up again. (laughs) So we realized, oh, this is just the beginning yeah. So uh, we didn't know what to expect. And the whole thing took us by surprise. And we've been spending the last year and a half catching up. Now, you're used to weird stuff. Um, you obviously have this traveling museum and stuff, which we're going to get into. Um, did this did, were you able like did at any point were you, were you saying, OK, this is getting more than we can take. This is getting a little too weird for us. And if you were able to deal with it. How was the filmmaker that was going along with you guys? What were his reactions to all this stuff going on? Because he's also, from what I understand, a a seasoned paranormal filmmaker and so forth. Yeah. uh, Carl, I mean, Carl and Connor both, 
were fantastic because those guys were the they were the resident paranormal investigators at the Stanley Hotel for years. Like that was their job. They literally ghost hunted the Stanley Hotel How do and you got get paid that for gig. <laughs> right? Is wanted that ghost hunters to work at our hotel. <laughs> it's fantastic. And Carl had been on like he won Ghost Hunters Academy and was on Ghost Hunters International. So, you know, he was able to parlay that a little bit. And uh, he he did really awesome, great work at the Stanley Hotel. And we knew he had a great filmmaking eye uh, and he was a really great investigator. So it just made sense when he wanted to do this project. We said, yeah, yeah, sure. Let's let's go. Um, it. I mean, the one thing that I, I have no problem saying is I'm not a ufologist. I'm not a cryptozoologist. My background is very strictly in ghosts. I've done a little bit of Bigfoot hunting, but I, my opinions on what the Bigfoot phenomena is is much different than a cryptozoologist. Uh, I think even when it comes to UFOs, my opinion on those is much different. And I think it's good to be well-rounded. But going into this case, uh, I didn't know what to expect. Because I am, I don't know if there's really protocol for goblin hunting. Uh, if there is, I haven't read that book yet. <laughs> so we just kind of had to go with what we knew, which is why we used a lot of parapsychological methods uh, and a lot of methods that are most often seen when people are looking for spirits when it came to doing this. And I think that that actually worked out really well because... I'm not convinced that a lot of the the strange phenomena, whether it be Bigfoot, UFOs, goblins, whatever, is a physical thing. I really think that most of it is 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 non-physical. So huh. let me ask you this then. Um, why did you guys investigate this? What 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 finally kicked you into that direction to say, all right, we're, we'll take this. We'll make this jump. We'll make this leap. We'll do this with this film guy, not knowing where this will go. Uh Carl kind of bullied us into it. <laughs> Honestly, Carl had a, a, a seriously insane synchronicity where Carl uh, was listening to an old podcast where I was talking about the case. And it wasn't like a podcast that had just come out. It was pretty old. And the reason that he was reading it is because uh, we'd included it in a list of some of our favorite stuff. And he he was looking at it or he was reading it. And as he was reading it, uh, he goes to Twitter because he was tweeting about this at the time. He goes to Twitter and he sees that Week and Weird, which is the website that we run, posted an article about the Kentucky Goblin case. And he thought, oh, well, it was very timely of you to post that. He texts me and I said, dude, I didn't post that. That <laughs> came from our website's auto tweeter that kind of just churns up old articles to give them some new life on Twitter. And he went, he went, what? And he's like, how many articles do you have on there? And I was like, something like 1,700 or something. Holy so crap. it was this crazy uh, amount of chance, crazy synchronicity that it happened. And he just got obsessed after that and said, I feel like I'm supposed to document this. We need to go do this. And wow. uh, yeah, that was good enough for us. All from a random generator. That's awesome. Crazy, right? Well, it's, everything happens for a reason. That's kind of hellier. That's really yeah. some <laughs> sums hellier up. Everything Welcome to hellier. We've got goblins and things happen, and we yeah. didn't go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because it's too cold. But um, it's too cold. Um, so let's move on to your traveling paranormal museum thing, um, mm -hmm. because I really do want I want people to watch hellier, and I I don't want to give away the ending or give away much more to it. 
uh, especially if there's a season two coming. I'm assuming that Amazon picked up season two as well, or are they just running season one to see how it goes? Uh, really, it it wasn't picked up. Anyone can submit stuff to Amazon streaming. Oh, okay. <laughs> so okay. I don't want to give the impression. <laughs> okay. <laughs> any deals or anything? Okay. Uh, no, we <clears throat> we made it and we decided to put it out for free because we wanted as many people to see it as possible, and that's why it's on Prime. That's why it's on YouTube and Vimeo and at Hellier TV. Um, we just thought it was important that as many people see it as possible. Mm. So moving on to the Haunted Objects Museum, how does one go about deciding to start a Haunted Objects Museum? Because I get this image of like the night gallery, the old, you know, tw- uh, Twilight Zone <laughs> kind of show where a guy just walks through and curates and, and you know, it's like, like, uh, like that show that was on uh, Netflix or whatever, where the guy's got the museum full of all these artifacts. Like this killed a guy, and and this did this, and and, and this turned a person like inside Ripley's? out. No, the um, shoot, there was a thing on on Black Mirror at the the very oh, yeah. last. Oh yeah, that's do, what you, I, do you remember Friday the Thirteenth the series? Do you remember yes. that? Yep. Yep. The same kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of like Ed and Lorraine Warren's House of Weird Things. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot less religion around here. Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so how the, do you uh, go about, I mean, do you run a Craigslist ad saying, hey, we want weird things? Craigslist or ad. Oh, God. No, no. Uh, so if you ask us, it's totally by accident. Like, it was nothing. We never set out to go, oh, we're going to start a museum. Uh, it, it literally was totally by accident. We were giving a lecture at Scarefest here in, in uh, Kentucky uh, 2012, I think, 2013. Yeah, it was because it was right after we'd moved to Cincinnati. Uh, and it was about how to get abducted by aliens. And they gave us a booth and we had nothing to sell, nothing to promote. And we thought, well, Let's uh, we've got a bunch of these objects that people have given us. We've got some things that are supposed to be haunted and cursed and some of them that are just pieces from famous hauntings. Let's take a half a dozen of them. We'll put them out on the table and people don't really have the chance to interact with stuff like that. And it's stuff that people had given us. You know, Dan and I have have quite literally been investigating stuff since we were kids. We literally grew up doing it. So we had amassed a small collection of things. And we took half a dozen of them. We made a little handwritten sign and we put it on the table and we were swarmed. Um, people had so many questions and they, we realized, wow, people don't have the opportunity to in- interact and engage with this stuff, uh, even to touch this type of stuff. Because most of the time it's very hands off. And we thought, well, there's something to this. So let's try it again. So we did it again and we brought some more stuff this time. And then people started giving us stuff. And it just spiraled out of control from there. So now we have a post office box where stuff shows up a couple times a month at least. Um, we're, you know, we're on the road uh, seven months out of the year, just coast to coast, presenting this big. Uh, we've got a big tent, and uh, it's it's a really awesome opportunity to enlighten people on what haunted objects actually are. And how most of the hauntings in general aren't things to be afraid of. There's a lot we can learn from them. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it's it's taken over our lives at this point. And it was a complete accident. You need to come to Connecticut. I would love to come to Connecticut. Yeah, we never. We, so one of the things we, we show up at different events, uh, events will reach out to us and book us to come out. And we just never, never get to Connecticut. No, we yeah, get. I wonder like, if we could get you down here. I mean, it's going to it'd be kind of hokey. 
in retrospect, but there's a thing here right in town, Trail of Terror. It's a huge um, Halloween like walkthrough park. Yeah, 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 yeah. It pops up every year. It runs for like two or three weeks, and then it shuts down for the year. The money goes to different proceeds. And oh, that's cool. Children's hospitals and stuff like that, but it's huge. It's like a few acres worth of props and stuff now. Oh wow, that's amazing. Well, I we're not we're not uh, we're not stuffy. We we we've done everything from places with dirt floors to you know places like the Stanley Hotel or the Queen Mary or the Mount Washington Hotel. We're See, I, I have some weird stuff that I've gotten throughout the years. Well, yeah, I he, mean, used to, it, he was uh he were Lobo. You did something with an auction house or whatever to leave it into this. What what did you do? With oh an yeah, house? we had. I worked. I was a I was a runner and a uh, I went and unloaded houses. Mm. for an auction house for years and uh there was one that there's one piece that i wanted that i still regret not pushing harder to get uh it was a death mask of a woman who owned uh, a mansion in the next town over and everybody that has tr- had tried to remove it before ended up with bad things happening doors slamming cur- you know screaming and the owner of the auction house refused to let me take it oh, i wanted wow. to take it so bad i would have i would have been able to get it out of the house i know i could have <laughs> but that's the one regret i have of, of all the stuff i mean i have all kinds of stuff that you know little do you really little think that would have went well though i mean you gotta, with the, with the the lady in the death mask, I mean, she obviously yeah. doesn't want anybody messing with her with her. So you're just like, I'm going to steal you. I'm no, sure that would have been just fine. No, it, you don't <laughs> steal things. There's a proper way to do things. If you don't steal it, <laughs> well, you it's just like said I, I could have got it. Have, I know, you know. I still have. I have a cursed stone from the suicide forest. Haven't had any problem with that. I have. Uh, pieces of Mayan temple that were taken. I don't have any problem with that. I have bones and I got all kinds of stuff. I never have any trouble with any of them, but there's a certain way to do things. I I agree with that. There's, I mean, one of the biggest issues that I see in dealing with not just haunted objects, but hauntings in general is people are responding to it Mm -hmm. uh, incorrectly. And most of the time when people are having problems, it really is just because something wants you to pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and most people, because of because of how they've been trained in pop culture and books and all that kind of stuff, they respond with fear. And so instead of actually listening, mm-hmm. they put their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 la. And then it just gets worse. Absolutely. Instead of approaching it with understanding, they approach it with ignorance. Absolutely. But that's how most I mean, that's the biggest problem that we have doing what we do. And that's why I like what we do, because we get to go to these places and it's kind of a bait and switch because people expect to be really scared and terrified. And really what they're learning is you shouldn't be scared of these things. You should try and learn more about them because you'll learn more about the whole world around you. And you probably won't have a problem with a ghost (laughs) if if you interact with curiosity over fear. Mm hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, fear is one of our worst enemies. We were talking on Twitter. I I was asking you, and is there anything you really want to talk about? And you brought up something which I was very curious about, which is um, the ethics involved with, you know, being a curator for haunted objects. Yeah. Um, What is your ethical approach to this? How do you how do you approach this kind of thing, you know, properly? Well, one of the things that we've learned, and this is something that we've, you know, we've learned a lot of this the hard way. Uh, We've made mistakes and we've really come to the conclusion that what we do 
we're not collecting these things. We really are caretakers of a lot of these things. Uh, I would say 90% of the stuff that has been sent to us has never acted up for us. It's never done anything. Sometimes they've got really great stories behind them, but they've never done a peep. And then there's a few things that have been uh, problematic at best. And what we've realized is these things have a responsibility behind them because there's there's a lot of especially now there's a lot of collectors out there who will go to eBay and they'll buy a, a haunted doll which by the way it's going to be fake if you're buying it from eBay mm-hmm. uh, not to cut I you can... off but I remember when the mm-hmm. Dybbuk box was first posted oh geez the, I remember when it was posted <laughs> me and my buddy were looking at it and we were like what the hell is this and then the whole Dybbuk box thing came and went and stuff and to right. this day my buddy still believes it was just viral marketing for the Dybbuk box movie or, or something like that. Now, Lobo and I know somebody that actually had it for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going to say who they were because they refused to acknowledge publicly that they had it, had anything involved with it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, it, it gave it gave me problems and I do not ever want to talk about it. And please don't mention that I ever had it ever again. But um, <laughs> I, I remember when it popped up on, I think it was, uh, it was on uh, eBay, you know, the haunted yeah. box and everything. And I remember when it popped up and then over the years, I just kind of kept an eye on the Dybbuk box and everything that went along with it and watched that whole story, that whole story explode from behind the scenes. Right. And it was fascinating to watch it evolve and what it became. And uh, I believe the guy sold it to, uh, who did he sell it to? The guy's got an exhibit in Vegas, a haunted exhibit. There. Baggins. Yeah. Baggins has it. Which yeah. is amazing because the guy said Zach he would. Baggins has it. Uh, yeah, yeah but he, well, he said he would so, never get rid of it. He wanted to be buried with it. And it's amazing that he managed to get it. So here's the thing. This is a great illustration of of some of the issues when it comes to purchasing a haunted object, which is cool, part of excellent. our whole deal with, with, with haunted objects and, and the ethics involved. Um, number one, let's get this out of the way right away. Uh, doing this as, as many times as we have, as long as we have, meeting people, like having tearful people in front of us tell us their problems with a specific artifact or an object or feeling like we were going to be killed because we were meeting someone who's clearly affected somehow by this, by some object. I'll tell you right now, anyone who has a haunted object will respond in, in one of two ways. They will either pay you to take it because they cannot have it, they will throw it in a river, they will get rid of it at any cost, or they would never ever part with it for anything. Mm-hmm. So someone to put something that's haunted on eBay doesn't make any sense. Everything on eBay that says it's haunted is absolutely fake. So let's get that out of the way right now. Two, we've dealt with Dybbuk boxes before, and there's a really strange phenomena that happens with a lot of this stuff. So. Uh, Dybbuk boxes, you do a quick cursory search on, on eBay, you'll find a whole mess of them and they always look like trash. They, they're not very creatively done. Uh, they've, some of them even have like pentagrams on them, which is complete (laughs) mix of two different, two different religions, you know? So we were dealing with the, uh, uh, some friends of ours contacted us and said, hey, this friend of ours, uh, hey, has a Dybbuk box. He wants, we want to use it on an episode of our web series but we're really scared about how to deal with this. You know, how, how can we go about this? So we gave them some tips uh, on how to, to stay safe and sane when dealing with something that's haunted. And then later, they it actually sounds convinced- Sounds like a book title in the works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Later, they convinced this guy to give us this Dybbuk box. And I could tell he didn't really want to part with it. And it was a whole big thing. And, you know, Dana and I noticed that every time 
we were around it. We started to argue and fight a lot. I mean, we don't we don't ever do that. Uh, so there were weird things where it was obviously affecting our moods. We didn't want to open it up uh, for obvious reasons. And so we started to do some research on this. And one of the things that we found out is there's absolutely no reference to a Dybbuk box at all before I think 2009, which was when the eBay post went up. So there are references to Dybbuk's. But the interesting thing is a Dybbuk was a Jewish spirit, a human yeah. spirit, not and a the demon. The vessel that holds it is called a Kesselman. Mm -hmm. so there, there you go. So anything could theoretically be used as a Kesselman. You could have a bottle as a Kesselman. You could have you know anything no. to sustain it with. The box was more or less just, you know, it was just a box that was used for holding certain things. And that was just what happened to be used to hold the Dybbuk within that thing. It was what was bound. It was the particular right. item was bound to. So really, you could somebody could walk up and say, here, here's a shoe box. It's a Kesselam. But most people don't know what a Kesselam is. Right. If you say it's a Dybbuk box, oh, I know what that is. I've seen but the movie. At, <laughs> but at some point, that became not a human spirit. It became a demon mm -hmm. and that big game of telephone. So and, and and there's the other thing like there's a there's actually positive spirits called Ebers too, and they help people. They attach yeah, to people you can to call help them and people. get a ride somewhere if you need to. I'm all about there you, it. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> like, it's like a supernatural Uber. There you so, go. So so we started to do more of this research, and eventually one of the things that happened was we we took the we took the Dybbuk box we'd been given. And we snuck into a hospital. Some friends of ours were MRI technicians or CAT scan technicians. Go on. And they actually <laughs> let us, they actually snuck us in on a Saturday after the doctor had left, and we gave a Dybbuk box a CAT scan. And it was super enlightening because what was inside of it wasn't anything that was in the traditional Dybbuk box that had been posted on eBay. So it didn't have any of that stuff. In mm. fact, we were able to find out that there was just a, a single votive candle inside with a little metal plug, which helps date it. So it wasn't very old. Then we found out the exact model of the box. The box was made in the 50s. And then we found out that there was a fingerprint on the wax, and the wax was actually Scentsy wax which wasn't any kind of a ceremonial wax. It's the kind of wax that you use to keep your hands nice and smooth. And then the, we found out, oh, the guy who owned the Dybbuk box, his wife sells Scentsy wax. Interesting. Mm. Mm -hmm. I, wonder who's, I wonder whose fingerprint that belongs to. But what we found out was people were still experiencing terrible things around this box. So what we did is we took it and we put it under our garbage can and then we would throw trash on it for a month and then we started to hug it. It felt like the scene in Ghostbusters 2 where <laughs> you're just singing and saying nice things to this thing. And the thing stopped. It didn't give so much as a K2 blip. But the great part was the guy asked for it back. And after we had had it in our museum for about a year, he asked for it back, and then he immediately put it on eBay, and the bids went up to five thousand dollars. Holy shit! And we had proven it was fake. We had, and, and he did all this before we could put any of the evidence online to show people that we'd proven that this thing was fake. Uh, and it, yeah, but you're kind of tulpifying it either way. You, but that's you know, exactly you, you, it. You're giving an, an object power simply yes. by imbuing it with a power. It's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring is sacred, not because it's a wing, because it's a, it has significance in what it is. It's ex yeah. Exactly. And that's what happens. I would say that most of the objects that we have had experiences with, 
were that kind of a haunting, where it was some kind of an intentional haunting because someone has put so much fear and emotion into it. Uh, you look at, I mean, crybaby bridges are a really perfect example of that. There's tons of them all over the U.S. They all have very similar stories, but the stories are always not real. They're always fake. But mm. people are still even capturing evidence in these places. E EVPs of babies crying, photographs that look like a white woman. It's because for 50 years, teenagers have been driving out there in the middle of the night expecting that to happen. They've willed it into existence. And I think that's what a lot of hauntings are. But – my my long winded rant is don't buy haunted objects on eBay because they're all fake. It's just somebody yeah. Wait till somebody gives them to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounded snarky. That was unnecessary, unintentionally snarky. <laughs> so, uh, but going back to the ethics of it, though, do people give you grief for what you do? Do do people shun you for it, or do, have you caught any kickback from it? Oh no, I, I I think I think quite the opposite because one of the things that we're constantly talking about is how. There, there is a responsibility involved with this, and there's a lot of people who think that it would be fun and cool to have a haunted object that will do tricks for you whenever you want, yada, yada. <laughs> and the, the fact of the matter is, if you believe, and it doesn't, I mean, skeptic, believer, whatever, if you believe that these items might have an intelligence attached to them, to to stick them on a shelf in a ring of salt and uh, basically forget about them or not pay attention to them is tantamount to torture. It really makes you a terrible person. So there's a lot of people who take these things that they believe have intelligence attached to them and they lock them up and they banish them essentially to never try and figure out why this thing is doing what it's doing. And then on the other side of that, you have people who are taking these things and trying to make them do tricks, trying to make them perform. Uh, which frankly doesn't really ever work out very well for most of these people. It tends to, to wreck their lives in a lot of ways because they're making something that is, has intelligence, very upset and very angry. So regardless, anyone who believes that these things have intelligence involved, have a responsibility to treat them as if they do. And that's really what we see as our job. A lot of these things, we don't have a lot of trouble around here. You know, most of the stuff lives with us. There's stuff every once in a while that acts up, but really it's just a matter of paying attention. Um, and you make it sound like they're needy children or pets or something. I, I mean, I, it's, it's, I mean, more, it's not bad. It's just, it's just an interesting way to describe these kinds of things. I mean, it's, it, you know, if you believe in spirit and you believe that, uh, there's intelligence to the spirit, I think a lot of the stuff we have is just residual and stuff just kind of is whatever plays over and over again. But the stuff that does seem like it has intelligence attached, I think we have a duty to treat that stuff with respect, even if there's even the slightest question that there's intelligence, because if we don't, it makes us bad people. That's one of the things that's always bugged me about ghost hunting and stuff is that um, and I've talked about this on other shows and things like that, that, where people, when they go into a paranormal situation, if it is a haunting or something like that, they 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 begin to dehumanize it and treat it as an other and, For sure. and I always have these conversations with people. I'm like, you don't understand if this truly if this place truly is haunted and there is a ghost or something in here, it's a person. It's it's not right. You know, you're mm -hmm. dealing with a person. And here's a, a know, perfect illustration of this is consider the way that that paranormal investigators take EVPs. Consider how they ask for them. Almost always ask for them in a patronizing tone like they're children mm -hmm. speaking slow and low and sing songy. And frankly, that doesn't seem to get the best results to me 
getting the best results is like acting like you're a new guy at a party and talking to people normally. Everything else seems patronizing, but I think that's just because of of television and because of ghost hunting shows and because mm -hmm. of the way that that's been portrayed, people just assume that's how they're supposed to do it. They, they lose a lot of that aspect of, uh, respect and, and humanity. Yeah. Mm. I was out at, um, Soraya from where the road go. I was out at his house last year. If you know who he is, yeah. but he's got, yeah, I was at his house and he's got this big barn behind his house and it was the middle of the night and he was showing me around his property and stuff. And he says, yeah, I've had something or something that whatever happened over here, or over there. So I walked out in the yard. I'm like, okay, well I'm here. So if anybody's out here or whatever, you know, and you want to say hi or do whatever, sure. Pop yourself out there and, and let's see. And later on, I was on his radio show and he was like, well, you said that. And I tend to wonder if something had happened, you know, how would you deal with it? How would you, you know, you, you're inviting this in or whatever. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm inviting it to happen. I probably would have been a little flipped out and it would have freaked me out at first. But I'm asking right. for this. You know, I'm, I'm understanding right. that if there's something here, you know, and if something did happen, I'm like, oh, OK, well, that, that's pretty weird. But. You know, I, I invited this to happen. And one of the things that I have said this many times is when you see these ghost hunting shows or some will say, if there's anybody here, can you do something? And a chair will move or a door will slam or they hear a, no, a noise and they freak out and run out of the house. Right. Now, if you're on the other side of the veil and you're sitting there, you're stuck for whatever reason. I don't know how the laws work over there or, you know, if the stuff <laughs> is real, how it works. Right. So you're right. sitting there and you're like, OK, now this. Oh, great. Now there's somebody else coming in here and they're asking, OK, fine. I'll move the chair. I'll do whatever. Oh. And they go running out. You know, it's the dude run moment from way back in old ghost hunter days. Oh, my God. It's like it's like what what is wrong with you? You you asked you're, you're talking to a person. You asked for this and then you turn into a fucking asshole and go running out of the room. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, one of the, so, one of the things that we are always talking about, and this is something that I've heard. I've heard our friend John Tenney talk about many times is uh, people who get scratched in investigations and immediately, oh, it's a demon, uh, yada, yada, freak out, scream, uh, call a priest, whatever. What if, just, just for a second, think beyond yourself and think beyond pop culture. And what if you have mustered up all of this energy to reach out and touch someone and prove that you're still there and somehow because of the way that this energy works, you have accidentally left some kind of a mark on them and that is how they respond. How mm -hmm. disgusted and sad would you be? Oh, I'd how give up after a while. How, exactly. <laughs> how, how frustrating would that be? I don't like this. People have made up all of these bullshit rules for what what a ghost is or how a ghost is supposed to interact. And people don't question where those rules have come from. So they don't they don't bother to try and learn this stuff themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you find that, you know, for some reason. Everything is a demon now. These days, especially, everything's a demon. And Ugh. because of that, uh, people are scared of everything. And there's mm -hmm. people out there who make it a job to make people scared. And I, I, one of the, the most frustrating things to me is uh, operating in, in, the, in this community where most people are trying to keep people scared is, is to be able to, to, to say to people, listen. There's a lot of people invested in keeping you afraid because they can sell books. They can tell you they're the only person who can take care of your problem. Uh, they, they can sign you up for their religion, whatever it is. That's why it's so important to choose curiosity over fear. Everything that Dana and I uh, preach with the museum is about how people can take care of their own problems. They just need to be brave enough to do it. And that's the frustrating thing about the paranormal community is – 
there's so many people who, who, who don't want people to be able to take care of their own problems. They want to be the ones to take care of it. So I got to ask you this. We're, we're getting close to the end of the interview here, but I'm curious about this is that um, the way people believe and how belief and how things affect their life and what affects the world around them. Um, you came from a Baptist family and your father was a Baptist <laughs> preacher, I believe. That's the, that's true. So um, mm. if you don't mind, how how does your family react to what you do? And oh, how is it? it. <laughs> OK, great. Right off the bat. Cool. Um <laughs> So how how did you go from being raised Baptist and having a Baptist minister or the father to getting into the realm that you're in now? And what kind of conflicts does that create with you and your family and stuff? How does how does that dynamic work? Because you're there. I mean, you sound like you know what you're talking about as far as this stuff goes. In my opinion, you have the proper attitude about all this. But you're coming from that background where everything is demons. So how does this dichotomy work with you? Um. It's been interesting. I was actually supposed to be a Baptist minister. I'm the first one in my family line in like six generations who said no. That's uh, awesome. You can, you can imagine how that took. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and and I think that what it does, you know, if anything, it, it was very tough growing up because me and my friends, we we were out every weekend. We were sneaking out. I used to have to wear my soccer cleats because my dad would check the shoes at night to make sure I wasn't snuck out. So I'd have to wear my soccer cleats on ghost hunts. We would jump out and we'd have one of our older friends wow. drive us out to the cemetery. That's what we were doing every weekend. And we were reading books, you know, uh, despite what I think about the Warrens these days, I was reading the Warrens books and, and forming opinions. I was reading Hans Holzer. I was reading books about parapsychology. Good man. And eventually I, I realized some of this stuff doesn't add up to me. And uh, I just slowly, you know, I'm married to a witch. Dana is a witch. It, it's it, we have differing opinions uh, spiritually sometimes. But at the end of the day, I, I think it's very important that people form their own opinions uh, and they they do the research involved to form their opinions. And you know what? Here's the thing. I don't believe the stuff that I believed five years ago, and I'm not going to believe the same stuff I believe now in another five years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully Absolutely. that's always changing and evolving, and it should be for everyone. Everyone yep. should strive to be the best version of themselves they can be. Wow, and my respect comes, level just went up 100% for you. Through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Not that it was low, you. but... <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing. I, I fully understand, and we, we, we have to deal with a lot of people who have very strong religious beliefs, any kind of religious belief. And, and I understand that that's important, and there's a lot of people that need that. And, and it can be important, and it can be helpful. Uh, but anything, I think anything that is keeping us afraid and keeping us from doing research and for seeking is nothing we should be listening to. Mm. And it's, it's been tough doing what I do for a living and, and, and dealing with my family, um, who are constantly, (laughs) constantly afraid for my soul. But I, I understand, I think you have to understand a lot of that's coming from a place of love. Mm-hmm. And if you can, if you can remember that, that a lot of it's coming from a place of love, uh, it's a little easier to deal with. But the fact of the matter is religion's very black and white, but the world is not. The world mm-hmm. of the paranormal is not black and white. It is gray. We don't understand a, a, a modicum of anything that's going on in this world. And so to make any definitive statements on anything is a fool's errand. Thank you. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you you fit in very well here, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are in good company. Um, I get this image of of mom and dad talking and, and dad going, I think our son is out doing drugs. And the other person going, no, it's worse. He's out ghost hunting. <laughs> that's about that's about it. If That's it were just marijuana cool. and pot, you know, we can work with that. But you, you're out cavorting with the devil. And uh, you know, thinking is so much worse. Yeah. Much Whereas worse. with my kids, it would be like, where did you learn how to do this? I got it from watching you, Dad. You know, that it, that would be what it would be like in our household. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, uh, when I when I'm at quote unquote at work, I, I wear a suit. I look very much like a minister. I talk very much like a minister. There's a lot of stuff I learned from my dad and from growing up in the church. And a lot of ways, I'm still I'm still preaching. I'm just preaching kindness and understanding. Uh, I'm not preaching. There's only you know uh, one way or the highway. Uh, it's so you know it's been useful. My my youth was was use, was youthful, and it uh, uh, my youth was youthful. My use my youth was useful. <laughs> Growing up the way I did was use useful, but it also gave me a lot of um, it gave me a lot of context for why people believe the way that they believe and I'm better able to speak to people who believe that way now. Well, it's good. We're, um, we're going to let you go in a minute, but, uh, Lobo, did you have anything more you wanted to talk to him about or, or I, anything to ask? I, everything he's covered is no, I had questions and he answered them before I could ask them. Okay. So, good. Cause no. I felt like I was stepping on your toes all night. I didn't want to do no. that. No. <laughs> So, um, yeah, this is where I usually give the guests the opportunity to promote anything they want. So uh, where's your museum going to be showing up next or, uh, you know, what plans are on the horizon? Is there anything out there that you want to push or promote right now? Yeah, uh, we're getting geared up in about a month. We're going to be going back out on the road with the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, and we'll be on the road most of the year. Uh, There's plenty of places all across the country people can come and find us and see all kinds of weird stuff. Uh, If you want to get all of our dates, you can go to paramuseum.com, and there's everything listed there, lots of information about the museum. And uh, check out Hellier. Hellier is streaming uh, in a whole bunch of places right now. You can go to hellier.tv, and you can stream all five episodes of the series, uh, the first season, for free. And you're definitely doing a season two. When do you have a plan on that being released? Honestly, that depends on uh, funding and financing and what we can do uh, between now and then. Uh, It's just a matter of how big will the first season get uh, and how quickly can we fund the second season. Wow. Cool. Of course. It's been a blast talking to you. I, I really wasn't sure what to expect by talking to you. I've listened to a lot of your interviews. Um, we run in the same circles with the people that we know and stuff. So this has been something that we've been looking forward for you for quite a long time to have you on the show. Um, Absolutely. It was Dude, great I'm, to- I'm, I'm sorry it took so long to make it happen. Um, oh, it's um, not a big deal. You're a busy guy. <laughs> I mean, you're out on the very, road all the time. Not even just being busy. I'm just uh, super forgetful and uh, kind of a kind of a ditz. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, um, I got a lot of stuff out of you that you know it was it was good to hear. And uh, as as we talked about, I wanted to make sure we gave you a different kind of an interview. And I hope you had a lot of fun here. But it was it was good to hear these things from you and to to branch this out into some different directions. You know, Excellent. so I had a blast. This was fantastic. I had a lot of fun. Oh, thank you very much, sir. So, uh, yeah, you take care, and I imagine down the road we will be bugging you again. Anytime, man. Thank you. 
Thanks. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So that was Greg. I'll tell you that that was not the interview that I was expecting to get. Um, it was a good interview, though. I had no doubts that Greg was a cool guy because I've been mm-hmm. following him on different shows and things like that. And as I said, he runs in the same circles of friends that we do. But I was um, I really wasn't sure what to expect. But the way that he covered what we talked about, it wasn't too overly woo woo. And a lot of his opinions and ideas about ghost hunting and things like that fall very closely in line to where me and you lie about belief and Mm -hmm. how you should look at this kind of stuff. So it, it was very easy for us to talk to him, you know, and it was like, God, we're rolling up on the hour mark. You know, I, I could carry this on for a lot longer, but to the time, time, due to time constraints and stuff, we just couldn't do that tonight. So he's easily somebody that when we have back on here that Absolutely. we'll be able to talk to again with no problem. I want to get his wife, Donna, on here, too. Um, yeah. She's mm-hmm. very knowledgeable. And as he said, she's a witch. She's an, mm-hmm. uh, she's Wiccan, which normally doesn't really matter to me and you. Like, we don't give mm-hmm. a damn about anybody's nope. religion as long as they don't shove it down anybody's throats. Nope. It's like when we had uh, Corvus Nocturnum on here, who is part dude, of Dude, the... I love Corvus, dude. He's the man. What was funny, when we had him on, it was like, okay, <laughs> Corvus comes back on. I'm like, all right, first off, we're not going to ask you anything about the Church of Satan anymore, because we've already talked about that. And he was like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> it, was <funny>. <laughs> <laughs> yep. it was funny hearing that A, come out of a Satanist's mouth, but B, yep. he's like, I'm so tired of talking about that. Can we just talk he's about- such a cool guy. Yeah, he was he really cool. Is. And I was like, well, we don't have Protestants on here. You know, you're a Protestant? let's talk about that for an hour we didn't you know the only reason we talked about the church of satan because it was such an off-the-wall topic but um so i was really delicate about broaching the topic of religion with him i didn't want to go prodding too far into it but there's again that dichotomy how do you get into all this stuff how do you marry a quote-unquote witch how do you have these artifacts in your house how do you how do you explore all this stuff and and i come from a baptist background that stuff and that is of the devil in their mind there is no gray oh, that's it door slam absolutely. boom that's it you are now engaging I was in the dark when arts he was saying it was demons i'm like that's all i heard growing up everything was demons and that the was devil. partially why i went into that direction i'm like okay he, i i know what his background is and he's bringing up the whole thing of demons mm-hmm. which we've talked about with Soraya before oh, um yeah. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if I can push this envelope a little bit and so let's see where we take this and how how we're going to cover this. And right up front, he's like, they hate it. My, you know, my yeah. <laughs> there's no, there was no tiptoeing around the subject. Nope. No, <laughs> he was very very blunt about it. So yeah, um, bottom line, go and check out. You know, go go check out the uh, Planet Weird blog. Um, if you're into strange and weird stuff, and if you have the opportunity to go check out his museum, I think he's coming around here in August. There's an event coming up that I'm going to go set up a table at, uh, nice. me and my buddy, Eric Biggs from the Dearborn Paranormal Alliance. Biggs! Yeah. Uh, who yeah, I now work on. with. Well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm definitely going to, cause I know I work with the guy and he's always like, so, uh, I thought you were going to call me up and have me on the show as a co-host. And like, he doesn't quite understand how our booking works and how our time frames and stuff work. 
you know, because yeah. the way our lives are and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, uh, we'll do this. We're definitely going to have you on the show and we're going to do this. And he's like, all right, when? This weekend? Next weekend? I'm like, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to you, Biggs. I will, man. I swear to God, I'll get to you. you I get will. Get when I'm on one of my uh, competition things. That's the plan. And I'm not going to be around. That's the plan. Because I know next week we're definitely not doing a show next week. You're busy and I'm busy and I just want to take a weekend off. I um, got a pasta dinner. <laughs> you have a pasta dinner? Fundraiser, yeah, for uh, oh, competition okay. season. I, I thought you were saying you couldn't come on the show because you were going to be eating pasta yeah. that day. Yeah, got to eat. <laughs> Sorry, I can't come on the show. It's, it's French spaghetti <laughs> night. I can't come on. <laughs> That's Wednesdays. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? But, yeah, ne- next week there will be no there will be no new episode. Um, but, well, yeah, one of the nights when you're going to be off on competition, I'll probably be bugging him because now there's all these people – coming out of the woodwork like there's a guy on our page that you said used to be a radio host and he's offered to come on and be a co-host and uh uh, i've got patrick at almost educational he's been itching to do a show with me which is weird because like six months ago it was like i i need a co-host what am i like when i bugged joe from ozone you know hey why don't you come on and talk about this with me he's like um okay uh (laughs) sure five minutes before recording let's go so anyways um let's move along we did get an email from a listener um Uh, in regards to the the pizza show, the pizza show that we did over the holidays is still it's still having ramifications. Even on our Facebook page, you still see articles about pizza pop up. I just posted one yesterday. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange topic. This does not seem yeah. to want to go away. It's it's the food that buys and tines, though. You know, ties yeah, and absolutely. binds. So yeah, go ahead and read the interview. I mean, this the is article from a gentleman named Matt. Article. I'm not going to say his last name. So uh, hi guys. I've been on your Facebook page for a while now, but just wanted to let you know how awesome I think your podcast is. Usually a podcast is only good as its guests, but I could listen to you guys talk about almost anything. They make medication for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wow. Always informative, fascinating, and just plain fun to listen to. Solid entertainment while still nourishing my brain. Your paycheck is on the way. Dot, dot, dot. Pizza. I have a few thoughts on the subject. Some that I haven't heard even the most dedicated pizzatarian raise. Pizza is more than just a delicious food. It is emblematic of humanity as a whole. Even though the modern pizza is Italian, its origins go back as far as Sumer. It's one of the first foods popularized by agriculture, a flat piece of bread sprinkled with food scraps. The pizza takes the form of a disc, like the sun or the moon. It is a sacred shape, the symbol of oneness and completion. It is all-encompassing. Almost every culture on earth has had their form of pizza. Rumor has it, unconfirmed, that Marco Polo brought it to Italy from China. Pizza brings us together as a global community, like the round table at Camelot when we sit down at the pizza table. No matter what our station in life is, we are suddenly equal. We all take a slice, and that slice is our own. No greater or lesser inequality than any other slice. We are all the same in the pizza's eyes. Pizza has eyes? (laughs) Pizza the Hut did. Sharing pizza is the coming together of humanity. If NASA were to send one type of one food type into space to show an alien civilization what civilization what humans eat, it would be the pizza, probably ham and pineapple. Yes. All the best guys. Love your show, Matt. That's deep, man. Wow. It better that's, be that's sage or deep. oregano because no, I know I'm you not can't smoke anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not smoking anything. Uh, yeah, the only way I could get marijuana would be to consume it. I cannot smoke edibles. anything. It would be edibles, um, which I'm not ashamed to say. I have used edibles a couple of times. I've actually used a marijuana supplement in the past 
month. CBD? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got some uh, pain-killing cream that was – well, not pain-killing cream, but uh, it's a pain reliever. Yeah, was, I want to get some for my arthritis in my leg. It works really so well. I used it on though. my ankle. I got it for free. Oh, it's so expensive. But, uh, yeah, before we get too carried away, thank you, Matt. Thank you for the yeah, email. Thanks, thanks for being out there. Thanks for listening. And uh, projectarchivist at gmail.com, I love hearing from people. I love getting voicemails from people. We love reading these emails. We love seeing them. Um, there are times when we get them in. should be more of a let's get to know our listeners better. I would love to do, for that to happen. I would yeah. love for more people out there to send us stuff, voicemails, uh, emails, whatever. I, the part send of the problem email, we'll read it. Is that we're we're because we're on Facebook constantly. We're, we very much interact on our Facebook page. Like if you're not out there and on our Facebook page, we're always on our Facebook page. And a lot of our listeners, we know, like we actually know a lot of the people that yeah. listen to the show, and we interact with them all the time. Um, like some people every day repeatedly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like totally. Some like, people actually play like, Animal Crossing with them. But anyways, um, yeah, oh my god, dude, I still love that character. <laughs> Oh, my God. So I think that might be why we don't hear from some people sometimes, because we are very accessible out there. I do have people that follow me on, on Facebook, but I like even even the, my Facebook page, I really don't talk about the show a whole heck of a lot. I do a lot of that interaction on our show's Facebook page. Yeah, I don't bring it up on my regular page that much. I just, yeah, it's kind of, I just don't anymore, which is weird because I started that, I started the Rogan account specifically to do that, yeah. to have a buffer from <laughs> real life. And even though the Rogan account hasn't become my real life, it's become a life within itself in some in certain ways, you know. So now the show's Facebook page has become more of, of that, you know. So yeah. if you want to get onto the page, you know, you can do a search for us. You'll find us. You got to answer. There's three questions you got to answer to get on the page, and those are only there to make sure that you're not a bot trying to get on the page and cause problems. Um, I have added a few people that were brought in by somebody else and they were like, yes, I know this person. I will vouch mm-hmm. for them, et cetera. So we need to police our Facebook page just to make sure that we don't get spammers and things like that mm-hmm. on there trying to sell sunglasses or, or, or kooks. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 oh, it's been a while we've since had we've our, had some it's cookies. Been three years, three years since we had kooks on, you know, specifically it's been three years, three years. Yes. Wow. It has been three years. You must've, I, I don't remember Oh. A specific person to make it oh, three I years, do. but you do. You must remember. Oh yeah. Um, of kookiness, because for a while we did have some pretty and blocked and banned from the page. Yes, I remember. Okay. Well, we won't go into it now, but I'm curious afterwards to hear about who it is. Now everybody's gonna be like, "Oh, what to say? What is it is?" I guess I don't remember, but I don't want to bring it up. So, anyways, uh, yeah, no new show next week. We will be back the following week. Um, you think you'll be here for that show? Yeah, um, should be. If if not, uh, but as you've said, your schedule is going to be wonky coming up. Oof. So do expect some rotating co-hosts to pop in from time to time. Sure. And uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe one of the days you're off, I can scramble some together and we might do some kind of a stupid news show or something like that on one of your days well, off. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what, what pops into our lap because I still have a few interviews that I got to get booked and out of the way. This one just fell right into our lap. Like it was like, OK, well, can you come on this weekend? Greg was like, yeah, I can come on this weekend. I was blown away by the by the fact that he could and was able to come on and do this show on such short notice. Nice. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, so, yeah, that's it. Um, that's all. Peace out from Detroit. This is Rojan. Take care. Blah, blah, blah. Lisa, get well. Love yes, you, sister. Lisa. Love Heal you. Up. Be well. We're thinking about you. Yeah, everybody, everybody that's in the know is, you know, we were all concerned. Know. So, you know, and those of you who aren't don't know. And it's not that big of a deal. It's no. just, you know, somebody of the show came down with something. She's good now. Everything's going to be cool. Everything's all right. But want to know we love her and we're thinking about her. 
So go ahead. We're from Connecticut. Pucks Tony Phil's a bastard. Why do we listen to a hedgehog? Not a hedgehog, a groundhog. Why did I say hedgehog? <laughs> I was gonna say, is it Sonic? <laughs> Sonic, tell us Is it Ron Jeremy? Is that what we're talking about what? now? Ron Jeremy, the hedgehog. Give you that—that's what Ron oh, Jeremy's God. nickname is. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Oh, Ron Jeremy apparently is is a sore spot with you. Would you like to show me no. on the dial where evil Ron Jeremy touched you? <laughs> Mario. What? looks like evil mario apparently he's very narcoleptic too um when the guys from orgasmo were working with him they had stated that he'd be in the middle of a scene and he would just not out and he'd be gone and then he'd wake back up problems so yeah whatever with knows him personally what's that he's a sweet guy somebody that i know knows him personally i seen him i but he has issues I was dropping somebody off or picking somebody up at Metro Airport, and he actually walked, like, right in front of my car. And it was just, I was texting something on my phone to look up, and then I'm like, wow, Ron Jeremy is walking right in front of my car. And it was it was like, what? Why, why is Ron Jeremy here walking? He was probably flying in and out of town for whatever reason, but it was just an off-the-wall thing. Like He's a unicorn. <laughs> I saw Ron Jeremy. No. I know you saw a UFO, but you did not see Ron Jeremy. Yeah, right. You got any pictures? <laughs> UFO, no, got. no. Ron Jeremy, not so much. <laughs> All right, folks. We're out. Take care. Peace. Bye. I don't know.
uh, we had new neighbors move in across the street. Our neighbor downstairs doesn't believe what we do for a living. She thinks we're pulling her leg. Uh, <laughs> she has no idea what kind of stuff is sitting right above her bedroom. That's wow. awesome. But our new neighbors had just moved in, and I caught the two, like uh, the neighbors from right next door, meeting them, pointing up at our apartment. So we're like the second half of a house, and making the sign of the cross. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the neighbors oh. know. The neighbors know. Did you That's open awesome. the window and say you want to come in? You want to take a look around? Oh God. Oh, I keep bring it up low some key. holy water. I'm thirsty. Dude, they've caught they've caught me carving sigils into the front door. Like these everyone knows. That's awesome. But hey, at least they leave us alone. 